0: Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. It's Jenny here with John, my, my, my little guest co-host today. Hello. Welcome, John Bauer. How are you?
1: Hey, it's becoming a regular thing uh, and I'm liking it. I think we've had some really good conversations and brought up some really, really cool topics. I expect the same for today.
0: I agree. Yes, we're doing our game show style podcast today. I actually really love these because as you guys probably know by now, John knows this about me. I love journal articles. But more importantly than just reading the science, I like to understand what does it mean for me as a fitness professional. What does it mean when we're out there working with clients or doing things with people? Um, And I've got some pretty cool ones today, John. One of them is going to be oh my gosh, right up your alley um, because it's something that you used to teach and you know a lot about. So I'm probably going to pick your brain a little bit and we're going to get a little bit deeper into this. Um, So it'll make sense when we get there. But John, are you ready to dive into our our first little game today?
1: (laughs) Of course, of course. And you know what? uh, You know, people sometimes ask me you know, how do you get to the job that, that you and Jenny do and, and, you know, what, what sort of what sort of uh, preparation do I need? And it takes a special kind of person. Jenny just said she loves reading journal articles. That's a special the kind happens. of person. Yeah, that's a special <laughs> kind of person. So if you're that person, then maybe this sort of job is right for you. If you're not, if you don't love reading journal, journal articles and studies and that sort of thing, then maybe it's not for you. But what is for you is our breakdown of some of these things to kind of simplify it so you, you can actually take the information and use it.
0: 100%. Yeah. Thanks for pointing out that I'm a nerd, John. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm, I'm like, I'm owning it.
1: <laughs> I'm right there with you.
0: Yeah. Right. So, we're going to start it off with some lightning fitness facts. So, guys, for these ones, I reviewed a couple of journal articles, like I always do, Um, some really interesting ones that popped out or stood out to me. And we're going to quiz John and see if he knows the answers or what maybe the findings were for some of these studies. So, the first one today, John, again, this one's right up your alley. So, one systematic review from the strength. And Conditioning Journal um, in June of 2023, so very recent, we're recording this at the end of July 2023, um, showed that what type of footwear can help runners achieve greater range of motion at the ankles, increase stride frequency, and reduce knee stiffness? What type of footwear, John?
1: There's only one answer to this, and it's the type of footwear that allows for your joints to move so that they can be mobile and can have greater range of motion and have less stiffness. It has to be minimalist footwear, but you could also say no footwear, but minimalist footwear, so you have some protection.
0: Ding, 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 yes. And guys, this is right up John's alley. So again, he's gonna to talk to us a little bit more about this. He can definitely speak, to, speak on this one. But this systematic review uh, looked at the research literature pu- published prior to April, 2022 in PubMed and an uh, organization called FECYT. Um, we'll put the references, of course, in the show notes so you guys can check this out. And it compared their findings on minimalist footwear. So I point that out, you guys, because it's not just one study like one group of 20 people that looked at this, they're looking at a ton of research published anytime before April of 2022, which is a decent amount of research. They define minimalist footwear as footwear that mimics the biomechanics of barefoot running while providing sufficient plantar protection, meaning the soles of like the bottoms of the shoes have protection to protect the bottom of your feet, okay? So there is some kind of sole, but it's not like cushiony like my Jordans and things that I love to wear. John's like, oh God, why do you wear those? (laughs) Right? So anyway, the main findings were that minimalist footwear induces improvements in stride frequency and running economy. And if you're a running person, you know that it's not about running like with a longer stride. It's about running with more strides like per minute. Right, John? It's about the frequency of your steps to make you go faster.
1: You're a runner. (laughs) Yeah. and And particularly when we're talking about distance running, then running economy is one of the most important things that we're going to talk about. If you're trying to run for an hour, two hours, six hours, you're going to want to make sure that you're efficient. And part of the reason why middle footwear will induce improvements in stride frequency is because it puts you in a position where overstriding and heel striking, which are inefficient ways to run, it mm-hmm. puts you in a position where uh, you're just not going to want to do that because imagine basically jumping and landing on your heel over and over again It's not going to feel good. So you're going to change your stride in order to um, uh, in order for it to be more comfortable, but the but the side effect is is that you do get better stride frequency and potentially better running economy.
0: Nice, makes sense. It also found that people can have greater range of motion at the ankles, increase stride frequency, which we just talked about, and reduce knee stiffness when training and running with minimalist footwear. So that makes sense based on what you just said about heel striking. Anybody here who's ever been a heel striker, you're like, oh, my knees hurt after you run, right? Running doesn't make your knees hurt. Bad running makes your knees hurt, right, John?
1: Uh, that, you know, it's, imagine having bad form with something and then doing it like 10,000 times a day. That's, mm-hmm. that's what you're doing when you're going for, uh, for long runs. Um, a lot of uh, tip, uh, uh, standard running shoes, You have a little bit of a heel, so that instantly puts your ankle in a position where it's going to be limited in terms of its range of motion. Um, Also, a lot of of these shoes are really stiff, so then it limits some of the frontal plane motion. You know, the joints are oriented in a way where they're vertically oriented, where those joints want to move. They want to flex and extend, and a lot of these shoes just don't allow for that, And, and instead, they kind of do it for you. Which, you know, as we know with anything, if you have something that does something for you, then you don't have to do the work. And um, in this case, you might end up with some weak feet and joints that don't move well.
0: Absolutely. I hear that. Yeah. shoes. And I think about that with the shoe. John, ever since I met you a couple of years ago, man, I like reevaluate my shoe choices at the gym. Right. Especially if I'm doing cardio, which I am now. Um, Cause yeah, you don't want something that's up over your ankle or that's providing too much support, right? It's kind of like encompassing your. I think of like a little mummy foot, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean the context. The context matters, right? If you if yeah. you've got a high level competition where you need as much support, you know, if you need ankle supports to play in the NBA finals because you're a professional basketball player, yeah, get all kinds of support. Do do whatever you got to do. But if we're just talking about having healthy human feet, then wearing casts around your ankles and your feet is not going to be good for you. <laughs>
0: I'm going to think that now every time I wear my mids or my high tops. (laughs) They also found, John, that this footwear does not reduce the impact forces on your foot or ankle, but it can reduce knee impact, which is of interest during the rehabilitation process. And of course, I know we'll talk about this in a second here. They found that people using this footwear and, of course, strengthening their feet and training appropriately, so we'll talk about that, um, had less injury occurrence from running and run training. So now, John, I've heard you say that before, too, that you can't just like everybody here is like, oh, well, let me try some minimalist footwear, right? They're going to go out and buy their Vibrams or their Vivo Barefoots or whatever, their Nike Freeze, right? And then they're going to go and they're going to be like, oh, my ankles hurt, my legs hurt. Wow, what do we need to do to like kind of acclimate our feet and ankles to this before we like really jump into it?
1: Yeah, just just like with a lot of exercise, right? You want to start slow, maybe unloaded, keep it simple, and then progress to faster or more loaded or more complex. For a lot of people, if you don't spend much time in your bare feet if you don't exercise in minimalist shoes then maybe just simply spending some time in your bare feet or having minimalist shoes that you're just kind of walking around and you're not even quote unquote exercising you know now trust me your feet are exercising if they're not used to doing the work of actually supporting you uh, but that's a good way to start is just walk around barefoot or in minimalist footwear and then start to advance to maybe just doing your gym workouts where you happen to be wearing those shoes while you're doing your workouts. Running and running long distance, again, that's that's a lot. That can be a lot on anybody's feet, protected or not. When you put on minimalist shoes, you're essentially not very protected. So it's up to your feet to take on all of those forces. Like you said, footwear does not reduce the impact forces because uh, there's gonna be forces, but how are you dealing with those forces? Mm-hmm. And if, you're, uh, if your form is good, if, if you have good mobility in the ankles and the toes, you're gonna be able to mitigate those forces so that your knee doesn't experience those forces. So again, if you have good form um, and good ankles and good feet, then you're going to have a good time doing all that running and all that exercise you're going to do. But it's something you have to build up to over time, just like any other sort of exercise.
0: Absolutely. So I do want to ask you a couple questions, John, about like brands for minimalist footwear. Um, I know there's, of course, I mentioned a couple just now. Vivo Barefoot, we have a partnership with them. So you guys can get, I think it's 20% off if you're a student with ISSA, which is awesome. Um, John actually got me into them. I have two pair. Um, there's Vibram, which people always think of like the five fingers, like the it separates your toes. Um, and they have other ones too, but that's what they're known for. And then there is like Nike free, right? I didn't realize, I just thought those were like super lightweight shoes, but that's really their version of a minimalist shoe because they kind of took out most of the cushion and all this other stuff. They're generally going to be fly knit type shoes. So they're softer, they're lighter weight, but they just have less stuff between your foot and the ground. What other brands uh, do you know of that could be considered minimalist footwear?
1: Uh, well, it, it depends on how you're, you're going to define it. Vivo is very minimalist in that there's almost yeah. no sole and there's zero drop, meaning there's no heel to them. They have a wide toe box that allows for spreading uh, of the toes and they're very soft that allows for all the joints of your feet to be able to do all the things that they do. And then there's the, some there's some of them that are kind of in the middle, like even, even like an old school Chuck Taylor it's kind mm. of minimalist in that it is zero drop. It has a lot of cushioning to it. Uh, but it's it's zero drop. And if you buy a size up like I do, then I have a little extra room for, for my toes uh, to be able to to kind of see.
0: You had your down. white so, chucks on at Ideal last weekend. I, did. I know. <laughs> I, I did
1: because I knew I was going to be on my feet all day and maybe I needed a little bit of help uh, taking care of my feet. Um, <laughs> but that but then there are the some of the things I just described would describe uh, what you'd be looking for in those other brands. Um, are they zero drop or minimal drop? Do they have a? Uh, are they flexible? Do they have a, a limited amount of uh, of a sole to the shoe. Uh, do they have a wide toe box? That's starting to spread to a lot of other shoe brands. I'm seeing a lot more of them out there. There's one even called carettes or Carrets, which are like dress shoes, and they made them look just like dress shoes. But on the inside, it's a minimalist shoe. Even some of them even look like they have a little heel on them. But your foot is actually in the heel, so mm. it uh, it, just, it just looks like a traditional dress shoe but they are uh, more of a minimalist shoe. Uh, some of the others out there, New Balance has a, has a great minimalist shoe. Merrill has, has some good minimalist shoes. And some of them you're going to want to go minimal. But if you're kind of a hiker, you're going to want to make sure that they got a little something to them to protect you from all those rocks and be able to get you some grip. Uh, so there are some great minimalist um, hiking shoes uh, that are out there. So again, there, there's a bunch of them now but just know what you're looking for a nike free is kind of minimalist but a lot of times they still have uh, quite a heel to them they are a little bit more flexible and they're they're kind of a good go-between i i didn't i did it accidentally but i i switched to nike freeze and before i went to the really minimalist shoes that wasn't really the plan but it just kind of happened that way and it was actually a good way for me to kind of transition
0: nice yeah i have quite a few nike freeze i actually enjoy those very much so all right. The last thing I want to cover on this though, for those of us who are like weightlifters like me who love, I don't love cardio. You guys know me. I don't even run when being chased, but I will lift all day, every day. If I wanted to do this in minimalist footwear, or I keep seeing people, John, training in their socks or barefoot. First of all, gross. Don't they know what lives in gyms? Ill. Um, second of all, it's dangerous, right? Especially if you're moving heavy weights, any kind of weight. If you drop, you've dropped stuff on your foot before, you did it recently. Like, what do we need to talk to people about as far as safety when they're wearing these types of shoes?
1: Uh, well, you know, first and foremost, when you're lifting weights, you're in at least a little bit of danger of dropping a weight on your foot. I've, I've got both of my feet. You know, I've been in this for a long time. I guess you can't avoid it's going to happen um, at some point. And my minimal shoes don't provide any more uh, protection than just me being Uh, me being barefoot there are a lot of positives that you can get out of training barefoot like I I mentioned earlier barefoot or a minimalist shoe uh, in that you can uh, strengthen your feet and we used to look at this as something that was kind of an advanced way to look at fitness and this is an advanced thing but think about it healthy feet that's fundamental to your ability to move it's fundamental to the uh, overall human movement and even health um, I, we can get deeper into it, but we've had a previous podcast guest, Dr. Emily Spickle, and she talked about these things where there's a, a foot-to-core connection, meaning your feet are very important in terms of your ability to stabilize and strengthen your core, especially functionally during during movement. Um, so, th- so there's there's a lot to be said for for training barefoot. Now, in terms of safety, again, you know, I guess if you have a bigger, thicker shoe, you'll be a little bit more. Uh, protected from weights but let me let me just tell you from first experience if it's a 90 pounder you're getting hurt
0: yeah (laughs) fair enough so bottom line watch out guys be careful but any type of shoe that could be an issue you know what time it is time for another issa rapid review kente bates had this to say about our certified personal training course hey nothing beats issa period well we appreciate you kente thanks for the review Love it. So I love that one. That was a good study. I got one more for you, John. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. So the next study analyzed, get this, 10,739 soccer match observations of professional soccer players. So that doesn't mean 10,739 individual players, but individual instances of them playing a soccer match. Okay. And they looked at all the players in the Spanish professional soccer league in 2017 and 2018. They divided the athletes into age groups. What do you think they found in regards to performance for the older players over 35 years of age versus the younger players um, under
1: 35? I have, I, I, I have to guess that the older players were not performing as well physically. They may still know how to, they still be, might be good at soccer and make smart plays, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, they're running, they're jumping, all the physical traits had to be less in comparison to the younger players.
0: Yes, you're actually right, John. The physical performance, and they were looking at speeds, their maximum speeds that they were running out on the soccer field, their sprint distance, so how far they actually sprinted, um, and some other factors that I'll talk about in a second here, it all decreased as they got older. Um, Now, this seems like a no-brainer, but this can help a lot of us who work with aging populations, whether it's high-level athletes or the general population. No matter how well trained you are, it's going to decrease like your, your skills and your performance, not skills, but your performance will potentially decrease over time as you age. It's just going to happen. So we have to understand that when we're working with older people, especially John, we've all had those clients that come in who are maybe in their forties or maybe fifties who are like, Oh, I played NCAA football. I used to play in the NFL. I used to do this. I used to do that. Well, you're, You're a lot older than you were then, right? And you're in a different state of life than you were then. You're a different physical state than you were then, right? So we have to have realistic expectations for them and help them understand those realistic expectations. So I love this one. Um, But the study divided players into five different age groups from under 20, 20 to 24.9 years of age, 25 to 29.9, and 30 to 34.9, and then 35 years and older, they used a computerized tracking system called the TRACABS, T-R-A-C-A-B, to gather movement data on all the athletes. And the results showed that athletes over 30 and 35 years of age show decreases in their total distance covered during a soccer match, medium, high, and very high speed distance covered in a match, sprint distance, and their maximum running speed. Um, Of course, the number of sprints that they did as they got older decreased as well. So the 35 years and older guys were doing, or people were doing less sprinting than the younger guys. Um, But again, the the takeaway that they noted in this study is that this information can help coaches and club managers better understand the age-related effects on physical performance that can occur and can help them with coaching decisions when it comes to recruitment, playing time, building a roster. All things that are really important at high level sports, but it can be absolutely translated for a general population. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think, I think this is interesting. I mean, just looking at it from the professional soccer perspective, I think it's a, a no brainer, like you said, that people are going to slow down um, as they get older. Uh, but sometimes the decision making and choosing team is who do you, who do you like? Who do you think is going to work best with the team? So that's something that has to take. Uh, That you have to take into account as well. But we've all seen all our favorite athletes are great, and then all of a sudden they're not anymore. And that's just that's just how it happens. Uh, Once you lose a step, especially in professional sports, uh your time is probably done playing professional sports. Now, when we get to the world of in the in the health clubs, uh this this allows us to kind of understand how to train the the physical person rather than their ego. Because, like you said, and and, you know, I'm guilty of this as well. There's a lot of us that used to be something, you know, we used to be able to run. We used to be able to jump. We used to play this sport and that sport. Um, and it is nice to be able to work out in a way that makes us feel that way again. Uh, just don't time me. You know, that's that. That's yeah. all I do. just, just don't time me because I don't want to know. I don't want to know how slow my time is.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I feel the same way. So I, I played volleyball for, what, 25 years now. And you know this. I'm going out for a pro team here, which hopefully they'll be building their roster in the next couple of months. And I can still ball at volleyball. I'm still pretty darn good. But I've seen a couple of videos that they've shot and put on Instagram or like pictures. And I'm like, "Chow, I have a credit card jump. Thank goodness for a 93 inch standing reach. Because, oh my goodness, John, I do not jump like in my head. I'm like, woo, like way up there <laughs> slamming the ball. And I can kill the ball. Don't get me wrong. But I am not jumping as high as I used to. And it's just, it is what it is. It takes me a little bit longer to warm up to. <laughs> That's fun. So yeah, so these are two great studies that stood out to me. I'll definitely have some more. I've got a brand new issue that came the other day right next to me. Uh, so I'll be using that next time we do this. But lots of good stuff here, John. I love it.
1: Yeah. And you know what? That um, a couple of things you just said there kind of lead me to uh, my my next point the, and the and the next thing that we wanted to cover. Um, and this is just kind of a, a little train or real talk here. And it just it happens to go with a couple of things that Jenny just said. Uh, but it also was kind of a message that uh, I was trying to send. Jenny and I got to speak at the Idea World Health or World Fitness Conference, uh, and this was kind of my main message. Uh, so, so Jenny, when I when you're playing, when you're out there playing volleyball and you're having all this fun, it feels good. Uh, still be out there playing, even if you got a credit card jump now. Which for those <laughs> listeners who are not sure what that means, she's saying she's not jumping very high anymore. Uh, would you say that it's meaningful? You, meaningful for you to be out there playing volleyball?
0: I mean, for me, it is. I think it's my competitive spirit a little bit uh, Uh because it's funny. Some of the kids in the gym right now that are going out for this team as well. I coached them, John, when they were like in middle school or high school for club or high school ball. And so I I just want to prove that I can still do it. But I also really love volleyball. So, yes, it is meaningful for me, um, which is why I have like every recovery tool known to man. And I'm going to cryo tonight to to make my body feel better from two days ago. (laughs) But I'm doing everything I need to do to still play.
1: Great. Well, work hard, recover hard for sure. So the the, the main message that I had in my in my two talks were to make movement meaningful, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of reason behind that. Well, there, there's a group out there that is doing this for physical education, especially for for youth. They're called the the, the this movement is called. I don't know if they actually say it this way. Lampe, L A M P E, learning about meaningful physical education and uh, you can find this at meaningfulpe.wordpress.com so again learning about meaningful physical education they're a research and teaching project studying and testing methods to bring more meaning to PE particularly for youth now not to get too statistical about it but youth PE isn't going well youth health isn't going well so what what can we do about it And this group is trying to figure out how to find ways to make PE not so much a chore, but something that has meaning for children. Because then if they are able to accomplish that, then they're able to find activities that children's may, uh, children may willingly engage in and actually do, which then the long term effect of that is better health. Lowering childhood cases of diabetes and hypertension and, and, and heart disease. Um, when you are an active child, you tend to become an active adult. Mm-hmm. So then there's long-term benefit. And then if we start getting into the dollars and cents behind the healthcare costs of non-communicable diseases in children and in adults, uh, we start to get into billions of dollars in savings for people simply finding something that is meaningful to them. Um, when it comes to activity. Um, The the first phase of the research focused on the ways that teachers and and teacher educators can prepare future physical education teachers and coaches to foster meaningful engagement in physical activity through PE and youth sport. So we're just trying to find ways. This is something they're working on right now of making PE more meaningful and less of a chore. Now we take this over to adults a lot of what we're doing with our adult clients is we're trying to get some sustainable behavior change, right? Like start exercising and start exercising consistently. That's called sustainable behavior change. And meaningful exercise is more likely to result in sustainable behavior change, because when they when an adult views it as valuable and something that they enjoy, then they're less likely to view it as a chore, like I was saying. so not a lot has changed from adult to, to, to children. If we're trying to make something uh, more consistent for a person, trying to help them find meaning in it so that it's actually important to them so that they can self-select and do it on their own as opposed to feeling like they're doing their chores, is a much better way to get people to engage in activity. Now, granted, when people have very specific goals. or so we're talking about athletes and that sort of thing. Sometimes you're going to have to grind through things that you don't want to do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm yeah. talking about the health of the world, the health of children, uh, the, and, and the addition of just simply finding meaningful activity in your life. For some of us, it can be playing sports like, uh, like Jenny does. For, for other people, it might be discovering that you like to go for walks and that's when you like to do a lot of your thinking is when you go for walks and that could be meaningful for you. Um, there's not an answer to what is meaningful, uh, but uh, I think it is clear. And it, again, they've done lots of research on this, but it's also kind of like, no duh, right? Like if, if yeah. someone finds meaning in something, they're, they're gonna like it better and be more likely to do it. So then as trainers, and Jenny, this will all get your thoughts. As trainers, I think it's very important for us to try to figure out what is important to our clients, what they like and they don't like. Because if we do that, then we can actually find some meaning in the activity for them. What do you think?
0: I agree. And I think that's what we built. Like you had a huge hand in building our program design model. And that's why we built the questionnaire the way that we did. Asking like, what do you like to do? Have you thought about it? Right? That's one of my first questions for a client. What things do you like to do? Um, And if you don't know that, maybe ask. It's not that you're doing it wrong, but maybe you just haven't asked some of the right questions to find that out. We get people on our Facebook page all the time. Like I have this client, right? They give a bunch of details about the client and they're like, what should I do for this person? Well, A, I don't know what their goal is, right? So you haven't said anything about this person's goal, but have you asked them what do they enjoy doing? Especially when it comes to working with kids, which is a huge population that I work with. What do they like to do? Kids like to play games, right? They like to do things that are fun, but what's fun for us may not be fun for them, right? So fun for us might be, oh, let's go deadlift and then go do a couple of wind sprints. A kid may not think that's fun. An adult may not think that's fun, right? Read their face, ask them after you do something. Did you enjoy that, John? Was that fun? Did you enjoy it? Like, do you wanna do that again? If they say no, you know, they might be joking because it was hard, right? But tell me why, what didn't you like about it, right? Ask more questions. And I feel like a lot of people are missing that. They don't ask questions they're just they just have it written down or maybe in their head, which I hate, write it down, right? They show up to the workout, hopefully prepared. And they're like, this is what we're doing today. But what if that person just had the worst day ever? You've told some great stories in boot camp about that. You have a client that comes in and they're just like, they were like, uh, you said you had a client that was like, or uh, yeah, the client that was like, had a really stressful job. Was it legal or something? And she was Mm -hmm. dealing with some gross stuff in her job that was weighing on her when she left work, right? That could be anybody. Maybe they just had a poo-poo day. Maybe they didn't sleep well. Maybe their dog puked on the floor and they couldn't like, it ruined their favorite rug, right? Whatever it is. It could be stressing them out. And then when they show up to you, you might have this great workout th- thought out for them and planned for them, but they're not ready to perform that. Hey, how you feeling today? You ready for this? If not, what else are you going to do? Maybe you take them outside. You've given examples of that. Take them outside and go for a walk. Go throw a football with them or a Frisbee, right? Hey, let's go grab your dog. You live right across the street. Let's go grab your puppy and let's go for a walk, right? What else can we do to get this person some kind of exercise where they feel heard um, but you're not trying to put them through something that they don't want to go through or they're not going to perform doing. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of questions that we need to ask and be a little bit more flexible as trainers in a lot of cases. Um, is that something that you would agree with?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I see that uh, in trainers and in, in just the PE system in, in general. Um, it's not just figuring out people's likes and dislikes. It's not not just that, but also treating these things like they're important. Uh, When I had PE in high school, I barely went and they didn't make me go. They were like, you play sports, you're good. And then when I did go, it was more like they just roll a ball out there and maybe we'd play kickball. So there's not a lot of meaning in that. I'm not actually receiving any physical education and it's just kind of a hoop to jump through um, during my day as opposed to something with actual meaning. There was something called the La Sierra system of PE decades ago and it was a system uh, that had the physical part, but then it also had some standards in terms of how you're doing in school, some social parts, your grooming, a lot of things. They also had different levels that you can attain in PE. And if you move up the ranks, red, blue, whatever the case may be, you've achieved different uh, physical standards. And so in that sense, it, it added a little bit of meaning to it because it was treated like it was important. So mm-hmm. if it was treated that way, then people kind of perceived it that way. But then there were achievements that you can make in, in, in that style of PE, um, so yeah. Again, if we if we can attach meaning to these things, I think there's there's something there. We're still trying to figure it out in the uh, in the PE world. I'm saying we like I'm a PE teacher. They're still trying to figure it out. Uh, but then I, I think it's still a big thing we're trying to figure out in the personal training.
0: I agree. I agree. Um, and I always like to explain um, the why to my clients. Right when you have them do something based on their goal, whatever you, whatever thought process you had behind putting something together. Do you like to tell people the why? Why are we doing this? Right? Like to a certain degree, some people don't need detail, but maybe they just need to know that what we're doing is going to get me to where I want to go.
1: Yeah, usually it would depend on the client, but uh, a lot of, you know, uh, reasonable adults just want to know the reason that you're having them do something. Because otherwise, some of these exercises, let's face it, they're funny looking. You know, so so if there's a good reason why I'm doing something that's funny looking then I might I might stick with it. Uh, But if I don't know what it's good for or why it's helping me, I might be less likely to stick with it. So helping people understand why the simple why behind choosing different exercises or the way we go about them can go a long way toward getting their buy in.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Such a good one today, John. So much information. Um, Any last points that you want to make for our listeners today?
1: Make movement meaningful. I think it's a it's a good takeaway, uh, and it's really something to think about. We we often talk about the the nuts and bolts of exercise science, uh, and, and Jenny and I both love that stuff. We're both avid journal readers, uh, but to get people to really stick to something and stick to something that's important, I think finding meaning in it is a is a big step.
0: Nice. I think my parting words with you guys would be. Uh, taking it back to the first study that we talked about with minimalist footwear, not saying you all need to go out and buy minimalist footwear, but maybe look into new things, um, try new things. When you see new things, instead of saying, oh, that's dumb or completely ignoring it, maybe do some research, find out more, learn about it, right? Because chances are, if you're seeing it, your clients are seeing it or other people are seeing it and they're probably curious about it or maybe it looks interesting to them, but they're going to come to you and ask, what do you think of this? right? What do you think of that over there? What do you think of that person, what they're doing over there? But if you don't know what it is or what they're doing, or maybe benefits or drawbacks of it, um, you can't really have an intelligent conversation about it. So always be learning, guys. Um, When you hear about new things or find new things, do your own research, maybe try them once or twice, right? I talk about going to new classes and trying new forms of workout all the time. Just try it once. If you like it, keep going. If not, it gives you an opportunity to try something and be able to speak intelligently about it. Um, So there's lots out there, guys. Keep learning. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, John. This has been fun.
1: Of course. I know we'll do it again soon.
0: We will. We will. We'll be back. And we love to hear you guys' feedback. If you like these episodes, um, where we're talking about the journal articles, talking about how you guys can apply all this new information and research. Uh, please let us know. Uh, but all the resources uh, and references for what I talked about earlier in the show are going to be in the show notes. So check those out if you want to learn more. But thanks, guys, for listening. And as always, go out there, be fruitful, do all the things, and make good choices. We'll be talking to you soon.